This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. You guys, welcome to this series. It's such a good one. I'm so obviously invested in it, but I'm learning so much and I feel so encouraged by it. It's called For the Love of the Middle. This is the middle for me. It's that time of life where we have enough wisdom, we've gained enough wisdom to at least potentially know ourselves in ways that we didn't or even couldn't in our 20s or even 30s. And now we're here going, okay, I've lived, I've learned, I've lost, I've got this wisdom, what do I do with it? And if you're not quite at the middle yet, I promise you there's something in here for you too, because you will be there, or this is next, or this provides some interesting scaffolding for you as you steer north. I would have loved to have listened into some of these conversations 10 years ago, especially the one today. I mean, really, especially the one today, we're talking about parenting. I've got one of my favorite people on today, but when she talks through her giftedness and her wisdom around parenting, I just sit here thinking, man, I wish I had been practicing this a decade ago. Right now, my kids are 17 to 24. I'd have loved this conversation when they were seven to 14. And so no matter where you find yourself as a listener, If you're a parent today, or if you have parents, (laughs) which my suggestion is that's all of us who has a parent, you are going to hear some really important stuff today. We have an incredible guest. She's been on the show before, and her episode was just so wildly downloaded and responded to for good reason, and you'll see why. We have Dr. Shafali on today. She's, she's pretty special. She's pretty incredible. Her specialty is parenting and not in the way that you have heard. I just can tell you that right now. It's not a system. It's not a formula. It's not boundaries and rules and structure. It's nothing like what you've heard. In fact, it will get under your skin a little. I mean, I know it has mine because it it brings so true and it feels a little disruptive to the narratives that you and I have been handed about parenting. And so as we're here in the middle, we're, I'm thinking about this, like what does it look like to parent in such a way that we are building this relationship with our kids as they launch into adulthood that is connected and healthy and secure and safe? I mean, that's all I, I think about this so much because I've got four of my five kids out of the house. And so what does it look like to parent in a way that even as a lot of our ties loosen, the most important ones strengthen? In the last episode she was on in the show, she talked about laying down what is expected of us and honoring ourselves. Oh gosh, it was like, if you didn't listen to it, you should, I'll link to it. Go back and hear it because it's a very good punch in the gut. She has extraordinary insight on releasing garbage and embracing what's true, releasing control, outcomes, storylines. It's actually a relief to hear her talk about not just parenting, but humanity. And 
there's freedom ahead. So you're going to be really happy you hit download today. So let me tell you, in case you haven't met her before or seen her work, Dr. Shafali, she's a New York Times bestselling author. She's world-renowned clinical psychologist. She's got her doctorate from Columbia. She's an international speaker. She speaks all around the world, literally all around the world. She's written numerous books on parenting and then also helping women break free from societal expectations. That was what we talked about the first time she was on the show. But her most recent book is called The Parenting Map. And it is basically, I promise you this, the step-by-step parenting roadmap we have all dreamed of. And the one that makes the most sense, the one that releases us from every toxic pattern and expectation and liberates us to love and connect with our kids in a way that is true and authentic and letting them be them and letting us be us. You're just going to have to listen in. I can't explain it better than she can. So you're going to, you're about to hear more, but This is all based on her sort of breakthrough idea and conscious parenting. So this is a handbook for what it means for building the kind of relationship we all want with our kids. It's incredible. She's incredible. I respect her so much. I admire her so much. And her coaching and leadership has made a big difference in my life. So I am so pleased to share my conversation with the uh, unmatched Dr. Shafali. Dr. Shafali, welcome back. You are one of the people that I most admire and respect, and I listen to you for a million reasons, but maybe the lead of which is you say new and hard things that I haven't heard. And you have consistently over just this enormous body of work that you've created, you push you push us on traditions and institutions and narratives that we digested so completely that now it's just all we see. The the mere idea of reimagining them or reinventing them is disruptive. You're a bit of a disruptor in every good way. And so I'm so happy to have you back on. Thanks for coming. Thank you, my dear friend, sister. Thank you, because I don't see myself as a disruptor, but I do see myself as a revisionist trying to create a new tomorrow. And in order to do that, right, everyone wants a new tomorrow. But what we don't realize that that new future comes with an absolute willingness to disrupt, destruct the past. So every new beginning has to have a destruction. So in order to evolve, we must crumble the old. And that's where people get tripped up. Everyone wants the new hope and the new future, but they don't want to do the work to disrupt and dismantle that which has been holding them back. And that's what I'm trying to do in, in all of my work, but especially the parenting paradigm because that is the most sacred institution of all, because our children are, you know, literally to use the cliche, the future. So if if that journey is set afoot on the wrong setting, then that's it. We're, We're casting generations forward, catapulting them into shadows of their unworthiness without realizing. This journey to me, is really the the beginning of the footprint. And that's why I focus so much on it. I always say that the evolution of the planet depends on the evolution of the parent. It's a good place to start, right? When we think of big problems like poverty and climate change, we often don't know where to start. But imagine the power we could harness if we just embodied the role of the parent and its influence in a more conscious way. Because that we can do. Everyone has come from a parent, knows a parent, or is a parent. That we can do. So let's just do what is in our control, and let's start there. So in very palpable, tangible ways, I help parents make that change. You do. This is your fourth parenting book. Of course, one of your just 
standout breakthrough award-winning books was The Conscious Parent. That was 2010. That book felt foundational, maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong, to your latest book, which is called The Parenting Map, which you and I are about to talk about. So can you, would you be willing to walk us through just the highest level maybe of what you mean by conscious parenting and then to set us up for the rest of the conversation as we begin to dive a little deeper into the parenting map? Okay, just quickly, conscious parenting is a revolutionarily different way to parent your kids. Traditional parenting talks about the kid being the one you have to fix, curate, create, and take into adulthood. Such a burden on the kid and the parent, we don't realize. But the conscious parenting paradigm solely and wholly focuses on the raising of the parent and then the raising of the child. And it's a game changer. It sounds like a simple shift of focus and pivot, but it's really a game changer. Just that slight focus away from the kid to the parent will change your parenting journey forever. Mm. I mean, I cannot imagine that you are still not getting daily responses from that one. It's just not how anybody has coached us through parenting. It really is revolutionary. It's a different approach and it makes all the difference in the world. The first time I was kind of exposed to to your work in that book, I can't tell you how many times I would just sit there and go, huh, hmm, never heard that, never thought of that. I never examined that here. Everything was kid-centric. And so I love that that was where you started with us as you took us by our little hands and said, there's a different way to do this. And so let's talk about the parenting map because you literally map out different stages of parenting. And so stage one, you say, is about moving from frustration to clarity in our parenting style. And so you are encouraging your reader, those of us who are parents, to let go of, I just love this, of the lies surrounding what it means to be a good parent. Oh gosh. Oh, I could talk about that for a million years. So a couple of the steps that you focus on are relinquishing control and discarding labels. I'd like to hear you share more about all of this. Why do we start here? Why does this matter? Why is this sort of stage one? And what do you mean by all of these terms? Beautiful. So I wrote this fourth parenting book called The Parenting Map because people were bothering me so much with the question, why and how? And they wanted a real practical guide. This is really that how-to manual. So I broke it down into three stages. We always, in any self-evolving journey, have to start with the mindset. So stage one is mindset change. Stage two is psychological disruption stage. And stage three is emotional connection with your kids. You can't even arrive at emotional connection with your kids until you do the first two steps, right? It's the first two steps is clean up your mind, clean up your heart, understand your emotional patterns. If you don't, you know, everyone wants to hug their kid and have their kid hug them back, but you can't arrive there with consciousness unless you've done the inner work. So stage one is about changing mindset. And that involves a true deconstruction of the traditional parenting paradigm has set us up for. So the the common lies are, number one, the traditional parenting paradigm has told us, the parent, that we have unmitigated, unlicensed, unsupervised control over these beings. Now, Included and embedded in that is this notion that because we have supreme control, we are allowed, permitted to do as we wish for the supreme outcome of creating a happy, perfect, superhuman. So this is the control we have bestowed. But with that control, we are also told, now you have the control, go ahead and create these super magnetic, super achievers, right? Everything that we may never be, but we have to create that in the children. So it's this double-edged sword. We get all the control, we are told, all the power, but we have a great Herculean task ahead of us, create these superhuman beings, We keep scrambling for control and therein comes parental discipline. We actually created 
this whole institution called parental discipline and allowed ourselves to have this unmitigated tyranny over our children should we choose. Literally, we can do anything to our children, right? And now we couch it in the name of love, that we're only doing it because we want to create you into perfection. So imagine then the burden it puts on the child. So this is the toxic dynamic that is set up when the child is in utero. This is all happening pre-birth. And this is how we enter the parenting journey. And we do not realize how insidiously this toxifies our mentality. It is so ingrained. Mm. That rings so familiar. It's just as if you've just been spying on the house. Everything you said, that's what I thought parenting was. That's what I thought outcomes were and meant. That's where I thought failure entered the chat because they didn't do the thing. They didn't do it. I'm like, but this is the formula. It didn't do, it didn't work. And then I not only felt like a failure, I felt like my kid's a failure. Like, why aren't you following the script? I put all the ingredients in the soup pot as prescribed, stirred it real good, like diligently, just a diligent stir. And so what you are saying is the truth. This is the truth. Every parent who's telling the truth will be like, oh yeah. Occasionally we get a kid that trots their little way right through the formula. And that's just luck of the draw. Cause that's how that kid was going to do anyway. That's just that kid. But let's talk about that quote unquote good kid, right? Talking about labels. Oh, we love that kid, right? I didn't have that kid, but my friend had that kid. The good kid literally gets marauded, invaded, and destroyed to the because the, the parent goes, wow, she's so good. He's so good. Let's make them even better. There's no end to the parental ego and the thirst for satiating that ego. So then that good kid becomes the perfect kid. And I can tell you through my clinical work, that good kid crashes. One out of 100 may not crash, but I've seen 99 of them crash and burn by their mid-adulthood, like by their 30s, 40s, they're crashing because it's just too much across to bear because their good temperament was taken to the extreme, right? The good girl taken to the extreme becomes self-sacrificial. And she begins to lose her sense of self. It typically happens with girls. And then she's destroyed. And then she's mid-40s and she's like, who am I? That's why I wrote that book, A Radical Awakening. So prototypically, that good girl is screwed or the good boy is screwed because they will be pushed by culture to be the nth degree of, of the zenith of goodness. But the bad kid, the quote-unquote bad kid, I love quote-unquote the bad kid because that kid is the awakener. That kid is going to challenge the F out of you. And you will only have two choices to try to destroy them. I tried to destroy my daughter, but she was too strong for me. And so by the age of her being two, I had to wake up. And that's why I, I began doing all this work. So she's my awakener because she was, quote unquote, so bad. Why was she bad? Because she refused to comply. Her spirit was indomitable to my ego's glare, right? And my ego. And the other choice of the for the bad kid, so A, we'll destroy them. If we can't destroy them, then we will constantly berate, degrade, and they will then be the rebel, the outcast, the outlier. And that poor outcast will suffer all their lives, feeling like, quote unquote, they're the, you know, I hate to use the term black sheep, but you know what I mean. They will be that outcast child. So good and bad kids are always subjectively defined by the comfort level and the egoic level of the parent. Guess what? There is no such thing as a good kid or a bad kid. There is none. We put these labels based on our egoic agenda. So then parents ask me, so then what kind of kids are there? And I go, just kids, just humans who are terribly flawed like we are and terribly but amazingly blissful like we are and they're just this unique combo and they defy labels so again whenever a parent says oh my goodness my Sally she's such a good kid I cringe because I know what that means that that kid is simply endorsing and stroking the parent's relentless ego 
Mm. Oh my gosh. These are such deep waters. It's interesting to hear you talk because it's both a relief and a comfort. And it's also a challenge because on one hand, it's such a relief to not be forced into this narrow space where we have to think of one or all of our kids or whatever it is as the bad kid. It's a bummer. And we know, like I know deeper in my heart, that's not true. You can see that they're just full of gifts and life and they're special and rare, like all kids are. But the challenge is though, then what instead? And that's why you wrote this book. Because too many parents came to you and said, but what instead? What do we do? What do we do practically? Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. So get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. So you talk about in stage two, moving from dysfunctional patterns, which probably almost all of us have, right? There's the very rare conscious parent who just came by it honestly. Them. Yeah, I've okay, never, right. never met. I, I always say conscious parenting is not something you are, it's something you become. You I simply you. cannot be born a conscious parent, please. No, yeah, no we one. have too much coming at us. Too many labels, too many ideas about what's good, bad, fail, success. I believe you. So in stage two, you are saying, let's move from that to more like conscious choice. And you advise the parent, catch your ego and discover your two eyes. I wonder if you could walk us through what is it that you are teaching parents to do in these steps? Okay. So now we're getting down and dirty into the parent's emotional crap. And when when we read this section, the tendency will be to feel shame and guilt and blame and, and I have great compassion in this stage for parents because I'm challenging them. Don't, don't enter this self-absorption of, oh my God, I'm such a bad person because those feelings may come up. But instead, use this section as an invitation to heal your own patterns because they're showing up everywhere. If they're showing up with your kid, they're showing up all over the place. That's so good. in this section, mm. the first step is to, you have to even know that you are an ego right? We parents have so much ego. We don't even think we have ego. Like literally we're so delusional that we think everything out of our mouth is the Holy grail. And it's all for the selfless intention of raising these amazing children. It doesn't even occur to us that it is imbued and infused with a raging ego. So that's why I'm very compassionate because I was like that too. I couldn't believe I was literally controlling this child out of my own helplessness, out of my own lack. So the five ego patterns that I expose parents to consider having are one of these five. So the first one is the parent who's quick to anger and they have the ego pattern of being the fighter parent. So I talk about the fighter parent, the one who explodes, the one who everyone has to tippy toe around, snip snap my way or the highway. That tendency, if that's you, it's good for you to recognize it, identify it, and then I talk about how to break it. The second ego pattern is someone who's kind of filled with anxiety. Typically, the good girl is the one filled with anxiety, perfectionism, and that is the fixer parent. And the fixer parent is the classic savior, rescuer, enabler, overdoer, overpleaser. I bet you and I are that kind of parent. 
And then we have the feigner parent, the one who feigns, that, that's the attention-seeking parent, the one for whom appearances matter more than authenticity, the one who's typically, you know, the stage mom, the sports dad, you know, these stereotypes, or someone who's very heavily into traditions, religious traditions, who care more about how the family appears, keeping up with the Joneses. You know, everything should look good on the outside, but it could be a wreck on the inside. The fourth kind of parent is ruled by avoidance and big emotions scare them. They get paralyzed. That is the freezer parent. And many, many men, surprisingly, have told me how they freeze. They actually get threatened by conflict and they want to act. It, it seems odd because you would think men would go for conflict. But they first actually freeze and then they fight. I mean, it's just a stereotype of a lot of fathers I've talked to. And then the last kind of parent is the one who's kind of abandoned to their own emotions, abandoned to their own authenticity in a very traumatic way. So people who come from severe trauma where they have experienced abandonment, they are the fleer parent. So I give this typology kind of a fun way to identify but a profound way to identify yourself, your partner, your sisters, your brothers, your parents, so that you can see how they came to be. And it's really enlightening when you begin to become aware with compassion that, damn, you know what? She's right. I'm always anxious and I'm always rushing in to fix my kids' lives. I am always rescuing them because I am terrified of their unhappiness. It burdens me when I see my kid unhappy. And if they're unhappy with me, oh my goodness, then I'm dying, right? I, I cannot tolerate it. So recognizing these patterns allows us to see them playing out. And then I give ways in this section to break these loops. And the way we break these loops is through the identification of the eyes. So I talk about three eyes, first the two and then one more. The two eyes are everything comes from this deep place of unworthiness. And each one of us metaphorically have this inner child within us that wasn't recognized, celebrated for who it is we ordinarily are, ordinarily are, meaning in our essence, not for our grades, not for our skinniness, not for our achievements, not for our body, for who we are. You know, I'm always training parents you know, can you not focus on the doing? Can you just be with your kid and not talk about their grades, their hobbies, what they did at school? Don't bring it up because whenever you bring it up, you're showing your kids that that is where you're invested. Instead, true authentic connection is simply about being with them wherever they are. So your our inner child, each one of us has an inner child now that feels this longing for worth. In order to get our worth as children, we created these ego patterns. Some of us became fighters. Some of us became fixers. Some of us became, you know, the go-getters and the super achievers, the ones who got the attention. Some of us just froze and some of us ran away emotionally or physically. And these ego patterns get calcified. So those are the first two eyes. I, I talk about discover your two eyes, the inner child and your imposter ego. The imposter ego is the mask we wear. And then the way to resolve this is to break this pattern is to develop the third eye, which I call the insightful self, your adult self, which begins to mediate between these two. Let me tell you, this section of the book, stage two, is literally therapy in motion. If you do it yourself, you don't even need to hire a therapist. But this is the deep work that I offer people in a very tangible, simple way. It's what every good therapist will teach you how to do, but I teach it in this section of the book. Mm. I can see how, if that was all anyone did, just that piece alone, it would change our homes. It would change the dynamics with ourselves first and then obviously everybody around us as a result of it. Let me ask you, so you are a fixer? You think you're a fixer? I saw my, a little bit of myself in everything you said. Is that possible? Yes. What do you think your, your first gear is though? When you're, when you're upset? I think my first gear is a fixer and it's weirdly and embarrassingly tied to the third one, which was kind of like, how does it all seem? I derive a sense of like, well, I guess like parental success from that, like 
this kid ran through all the traps and they did it. And now they're on the other side of it and they're successful. Cause I have young adults, like my, my oldest is almost 25. And so I'm attaching now a sense of like parenting success to what kind of adults they're turning out to be. And so it's something between those two, but I also have a really strong freeze mechanism. And I saw that play out. I feel like even more so in my marriage, because you said, however you are is how you are. If you're this way with your kids, you're this way everywhere. So pay attention because this is your own, this is your pattern everywhere. And so I, I had a really strong freeze mechanism and that just disintegrates connection. It just breaks it. I think that freezer is so common. It's almost the underlying, you know, we all get terrified and then we, we move into some, we galvanize, but some people stay stuck in freezer mode and they simply avoid. Yeah. So you, you saw yourself in all of these and then I don't know whether you can in your own time, but you can then contemplate your partners, your parents, right? So that's what this stage offers people, not only an insight into your patterns, but an insight into other people's patterns. And then guess what? In stage three, I talk about how then our kids develop these patterns too. Let's talk about stage three, because at that point, you're you're moving us from conflict to connection. And in one part of that section, you discuss reframing mistakes. And you actually give three reasons why, why like kids might misbehave as we see it, as we perceive it. I'd love to hear you talk more about that and how we can better understand what it is that our kids are doing and choosing and how it is that they're behaving and why. Okay, beautiful. So just to give you an overview, stage three is about conscious connection. In the conscious parenting model, as I espouse it, we begin by looking at our children as whole humans, meaning they are, as I said before, limited and unlimited beings. But it's okay, you know, in this new world, we feel afraid to say we are limited. Apparently, we're not allowed to be limited anymore. You're we're right. supposed to- Gosh, that's true. <laughs> what the hell? No, I have limitations and I'm okay with them. I'm happy to call them limitations. I'm comfortable calling them limitations. I feel free saying, no, that's, sorry, that's not me. That's my limitation. Can't do that. And I'm allowed to have them as a human. Suddenly, it's not so sexy to have limitations. I don't know when when that happened. But similarly, our kids can have limitations too. But that's part of being a whole human being. You're not just a superhuman being. You're not just a perfect person. So when we come with that and we embrace this ideology of wholeness, not perfection, wholeness, not perfection, then when our kid makes a mistake, for example, or when our kid is acting out, First, because we've done the work in stage two, we now see my kid has an ego. That means my kid's inner child is hungry for some attention. My kid's inner child is feeling unworthy. Let me tell you, when I began to see my child as having an inner child and an ego, I cannot tell you how many wars I saved in the house because I had so much compassion. So even when she was this obnoxious 16-year-old banging the door, one day she banged it so hard, it unhinged from the frame. But I saw her as just a hurt inner child. That's why that those teachings in stage two will change your approach to everybody, to every human on earth. But anyway, so we begin to see our children as having egos, having inner children. And then the three reasons why children misbehave are so simple. They're the same reason. We may misbehave. They are, and especially in children, number one, children have a lack of skill. Rightly so, rightly so. Their brains are not developed till they're, I don't know, 65, no, at least yeah. 28, at least yeah. 28, right? At least 28. So whenever my child forgets things, misplaces things, gets up late, sets the alarm for PM instead of AM and makes human mistakes. If I can keep reminding myself, ah, a big chunk of her brain hasn't even developed. Ah, she just has a lack of skill, lack of executive functioning. I get it. That's who these children are. They're not bad. They're not defective. That's just who they are. The next reason why children misbehave is genuinely because of a lack of life experience, right? So teenagers, oh my goodness, they think they're mighty and reckless because they just don't 
yet know all the consequences that come from reckless driving, reckless drinking. You and I went through that phase too. We thought we were invincible. So we have to remember that this age group called childhood, all the way through 28, by the way, is an age where they just don't have enough life experience. So you have to give them grace. You just have mm, to. It's like, that's good. Just like being parents and being parents of young adults for the first time, like now you're a parent of like 30-year-olds, you need grace because you don't know how to deal with them. You've never dealt with them before. So in the same way, they've never been that age before either. So they need grace. And the last reason why children misbehave is due to a lack of self-worth. Right. So now if you combine all these three, which is typically the deadly cocktail, lack of skill, lack of experience and lack of worth. Now you have a real misbehaving kid. The moment we take the route of the traditional parenting model, which is to fear them, fear monger them, shame them, guilt them, blame them and punish them. We may get immediate reward of them suppressing their misbehavior, but in the long run, it's never sustainable we will enrage the issue more. We will fester the wound even more. Punishment, shaming, blaming is never sustainable. I cannot tell you how many times a day I tell parents, listen, you appear to get the control in the moment, but long-term, it's going to be unforgiving. Again, now if we remember these reasons why our children make mistakes, then we have compassion and then we foster connection, right? Let me ask you this. You've kind of mentioned the sort of span of brain development reaching all the way up into a kid's upper 20s. This interview is in the in a series called For the Love of the Middle. And we're talking about a lot of things that we're dealing with kind of at my age. So we've our kids are getting older. We don't have kindergartners anymore. They're getting older. Our parents are getting older. We're in this middle part of life that has a little bit less scaffolding than I expected it to have. There was a ton of people to tell me what to do as a young adult, as a young parent, as a young person building a career. There's just so much about how to get started. I find less structure around this middle part when life is looks different. And so I want to think about this in terms of parenting for just a second. How do you think, and just if, if we're just outside the conversation, just be like, this doesn't apply, but how do these steps work when our kids are older or getting older? They're late teens and even young adults. So our role as a parent looks different, obviously. But what I'm learning with five kids between 17 and 24 there's still a lot of parenting happening. <laughs> Young adults still need parents, but just differently. And so can you talk about what this might look like for those of us who've got the bigger kids and the young adult kids? Absolutely. My own daughter is 20. So we move energetically from center stage to backstage. So first we have to be comfortable letting our kids now be in the center stage of their life. So first it's an energetic and it's a falling back and it's a pulling away, not because of a replacement of power necessarily, but because of a necessity of letting these children now practice adulthood. So they must practice, which means they're going to perhaps spend too much or mess up too much or forget too much. Because now with the safe haven of us being right behind them, but no longer leading the way, they get to full throttle practice. And that's what I believe the college years are, are about. They are a preparatory phase for adulthood. So it is essential if you want your children to be autonomous, sovereign adults, that you let them do this middle phase. Or, and I believe it starts from like 10 all the way till 30 with you inching your way back to backstage. And of course, gradually when they're 10, a little bit more when they're 16, definitely when they're 18, 20, and in a very big way in their 20s, even being unavailable to answer them right away, even going, hmm, I don't know the answer to that right now, and stalling on giving your opinion, stalling on the sermon, stalling on the reminders, letting them fumble because that's the fledgling stage they must endure. But you must endure it. Uh, and again, 
Good point. You, but like you said, if you're invested in what kind of adult they grow up to be, then we're in. A, we're going to be in hot waters. Like personally, for me, of course, I want my kid to be, you know, sane, healthy, and happy. Of course, but I'm not so invested in how that looks anymore. And because you know, and you and I have been through a divorce. Because you and I now know that 25 year old marriages, both of us had long marriages. And how life changes and pivots. Would you and I have ever imagined being where we are in this moment? Not in a million years. You and I will even go as far to say, even from two years ago, we would never imagine today. Right? I just got goosebumps. So if we can't imagine in our own lives what two years brings about, how can we ever fantasize how the outcome of our children's life? So we have to let it go. Let it go. Don't be attached to how it looks anymore. Just be attached to how, what I'm attached to and what I encourage parents to do. How am I showing up right now? It is delicious to have less control. It is amazing to not be involved in every single detail. Can you as a parent relish that you have arrived? Now enjoy this arrival. And actually the degree of your release is directly proportionate to the degree you trust yourself as a parent, right? How have you, do you, did you trust what you did for the last 17 years? I know I did good enough as much as I could do. And now the child has to parent themselves. I gave them the tools. They must activate their own parenting. And here's the mistake I think we make. because we overparent all the way into their late 20s, Guess what then? When they find their first significant partner, and this probably happened to you and me, we fall into that same enmeshment. Because we don't give them enough of a window of inner authority and independence and, and sovereignty and autonomy, like singular autonomy for a good five to seven years, the enmeshment continues. And then they take that enmeshment into their first, second love affairs and then end up marrying the person enmeshed and carrying all that baggage. So allowing our children to parent themselves is actually a phase of development. It's interesting to see the older kids respond to that, that distancing in different ways, and they don't always like it. They don't like it. They've suggested to me, like, you've just kind of, you're just hands off. You're just done, I guess, with us. And I'm like, well, I mean, in some way, in some way I am. Like, you live in an apartment. Like it's fascinating. They don't love it. They don't want the interference, but they want the constant presence. Yes. I will literally text my daughter all day on a particular day. Say it's a Tuesday and she'll tell me to not bother her. Then I'll listen. So I won't bother her all day Wednesday. And then at night she'll tell me, where have you been all day? Right. So it's so fascinating. But I think the lesson for us is, how do we constantly show our presence and our unequivocal cheerleading? I'm thinking of you. I miss you. I'm remembering you. I, I adore you. Letting them know they are on our mind, never too far from our heart, but I'm not involved in your day-to-day, right? That's good. That's it. That's it. And the thing is, it's not their fault even that they are craving. We overparented. I did. I for sure did. So I did not set them up to have this, this feeling of autonomy in a great way. So they're just like, well, this is a real big swing. So I, I see the outcome though. The connectedness is what matters. And that brings me to my last question for you. And this is really broad and maybe a complex answer. When you think about this new book that you're just about to put in the hands of readers, I want to go back to the very first question. So at the beginning, we talked about these are the lies. These are the narratives. These were the stories that we were told and then told ourselves about what parenting means, what good parenting means, what a good kid means, what a bad kid means, all of it. So when somebody closes the last page of this book, what's your goal here? If it's not just to churn out a bunch of kids with their master's degrees who, you know, live in whatever, what is the goal? What are you saying? Here, come with me. And this is where I would love to walk with you toward this, what this relationship could look like. 
Yeah, I love that question. I always say conscious parenting is has nothing to do with the child. It has to do with changing humanity. So at the end of this journey, the parent will not only experience a release and a liberation of all the unnecessary burdens of parenting put by culture, all the anxieties, the stressors, this book will shed all of that because so much of it was unnecessary. And not only experience that liberation, but also they will have grown themselves. They would have evolved. They would have released their own parents from the resentment or the blame or the anger perhaps that they were stuck in. Their own childhood patterns would come undone at the end of this book. And then they will enter into a new authentic relationship with themselves. And literally, I've had parents tell me who've read this book already, uh, they will see their children in such a new way that they will just have marveled, where has this child been all this time? Because the veils of our delusion will get stripped and the ego will crumble and relax a little bit. And the heart just opens. When the ego crumbles, proportionately, the heart expands. And you then are just this heart-centered being able to connect to other people in a very attuned, compassionate, genuine way. And then your mm. children feel That's so you know, good. Then you're, then your children feel it and they come toward you like a flower yeah. to the sun. Oh man, that is so good. What a good, what a good journey. And I think that is what we want. Like, as you describe it, I think, yeah, like that's what I want. That, that's who I want to be in the world. That's definitely who I want to be as a mom and with and for and to my kids. And I can just see all the places that I am just, I've only got one kid left in the house and I can just see right as recent as one hour ago in this living room where I'm just white knuckling the thing, like just do it this way. Like just do it this way. Why can't you? And why won't you? And this isn't my job and it isn't. Yeah. Turns out it isn't. (laughs) So I just, your way's better. It's better. And I'm so grateful to you. I'm so happy that you are just coaching us collectively and communally as parents toward a better way and toward really ultimately a better world. Because that's what this will produce is just better humans in general. And then how we relate to each other is like a natural outcropping of that. So it's wonderful. All right. Before I ask you the final question that I've asked you before, I ask all my guests, will you just, the book's coming out. So will you just remind my listeners what it is, where it is, where they can get it, where they can find you, all of this important information. Thank you. So the book is called The Parenting Map. Buy it for your friends, your your parents, anyone you know who wants to evolve. And I appreciate your support because I tell people everyone who buys this book now becomes an ambassador of conscious parenting. I also have a free, lots of free meditations, videos, courses on my website so they can access that. And my website is drshafali.com, D-R for drshafali.com. Yep. You guys will have all of that for you. I'll round up every single link, every single thing. And if you're not following Dr. Shafali on socials, do that first, just right away. This sort of constant sort of little soundbite input pulls me back to center, pulls me back to center every time. So I'll, I'll make sure everybody has that finally. And I would love for you to answer this. However you feel like today, the answer for me would change probably by the hour, but this is a question everybody gets and you've answered it before. What is saving your life right now? my sense of purpose. Mm. Yeah. The the fact that I get up and I get to help others literally saves my life. And not because just voyeuristically, I get to see that other people's life is more messed up than mine, because that does help. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Okay, let me stop complaining. No, but just the sense of community, the sense that we're walking this journey together and I get to lighten someone's load, that is such a gratifying feeling. So that's my my greatest purpose. I love it. I love it. That is so lovely and so indicative of exactly who you are in the world. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for being on the show today. I'm so excited. I, I don't know if it's a strange thing to say, but I'm just excited for everyone who's going to read this and it's going to change their families. 
It's just going to change their families. It's it's consequential. You know, it, this will matter. This will fundamentally change a lot of relationships, the ones that we care about the very most in the world. And so what a wonderful, what a wonderful place to be to get to watch that like roll out in your community. And so I'm excited to bang the drum for it. And until next time. Yes, until next time, my dear friend. Thanks for coming back on. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. All right, you guys, you're going to want this one. It's just out. And if you go over to jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, I'm going to have everything about this episode. I'll have the show notes and the links, and then I will have everything, a roundup of all things Dr. Shafali for you, all of her books, her website, which has a ton of free resources, as she mentioned, and her socials. So you can find everything you need there. But this is a game changer. I really believe that. I think this is really different. I don't I don't think this is one of those parenting books that's just creating a new system of essentially control and trying to launch it down into every American family. I don't. I this one's different. This one's at the heart. And so I love her and just respect her so very much. So excited to hear from you on this episode. Let us know what you think. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, do it. Do it. It's good for podcasts and it's good for you. Just all these episodes will just populate in your phone without you having to lift a finger to get them there. And you can listen to them whenever you have a chance to, or you can watch them. You know, we film all of our episodes. We have not just the audio, but we have video of every single episode. So if you ever want to watch one of the episodes, you can hop over to my YouTube channel. And I, of course, that's the way I experience every episode. So to me, that's my preferred way just to get to see my guest and experience their body language and their energy and that just sort of human connection between the two of us. And so that's over there for you too. Anyway, you guys, more to come on this incredible series. And I don't think you're going to want to miss any of this one. All right. See you next week.